0: This is season five. This is episode 34, uncovering the secrets of working with a narcissistic boss.
1: You've got to document everything that you feel like you're going through. You got to start creating a paper trail of the bullying or the narcissistic behavior that's causing this issue. A lot of people feel like you have to choose one or the other. And if they're going to choose, they're always going to choose profits. Because to me, in order to survive, or if you want to be leading an organization in the next three to five years, you're really going to have to change your leadership style. You've got to really embrace those five attributes I talked about.
0: Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional help. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.
1: I don't know. I'm just so confused. I love him,
0: but I don't know if I can live without him or in this toxic, toxic cycle. I know. I felt the same way. You will get stronger every day with time, and you will see you are free from their toxic cycle, and it'll feel so good. You know what would help? No. What? I think talking to a professional therapist could really help. Well, therapy. Oh, therapy. Uh, I, I don't know. I I will just be judged and told that I'm crazy. Are you sure? Well, in my experience, that was not the case. I was not judged at all. And matter of fact, she was able to show me that I was actually being abused and that I wasn't going crazy and that all of my doubts and fears were validated. And if you've had a bad experience with a therapist before, you know, there is a thing called therapist shopping. And BetterHelp has a number of therapists, and it's convenient and online. You can just meet with them in your pajamas in your home. Oh, really? Are they expensive? As a matter of fact, it's professional, it's affordable, it's convenient and effective. You can say you can join over 3.7 million people who've decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp today. And you can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash empath. Thank you, my friend. I feel better already. I'm glad we could meet up. Me too. The link is in the show notes. Are you struggling to work with a narcissistic boss or coworker? Discover the best strategies to handle their behavior and keep your job safe with our guest today, Rajiv Kapoor. Rajiv is an author of Chase Greatness, Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. CEO Rajiv Kapoor reveals how most business leadership is out of step with the evolving times and values, which has negatively impacted both the effectiveness of our workforces as well as the bottom line. We talk about working with a narcissistic boss can be a challenge, and you may feel undermined. Your talents are unrecognized. Your efforts are unappreciated. However, it's possible to manage a narcissistic boss without jeopardizing your job security. So in this episode today, we're going to talk about that and talk about how the workforce is moving towards enlightenment and how to deal with, as an empath, these narcissistic people in power. So I can't wait for us to dive into this conversation. Let's go. Welcome, Rajiv. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Raven. Thanks for having me. And it turns out we're neighbors almost.
0: I can't believe it. We're neighbors. I talk to so many people all over the world. And finally, someone who lives just like a stone's throw away from me. So (laughs)
1: that's so funny. Small world. And
0: I really, truly love our topic we're going to talk about today. We don't normally talk about the workplace, but it's extremely, incredibly important. I said lots of adjectives there, it's very important to talk about it because we spend so many hours at work and these narcissists and or whatever you to call it, toxic people can really affect our lives and our mental health, especially if they're our bosses. So yeah, let's get into it.
1: Yeah, no, look, it's a really interesting subject because I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding the politics of the workplace. They have a hard time working for potentially a boss who's out to climb the ladder of the organization without any regards to the employees. I've been in those situations. I was the executive at Dell for a long time and I have had. I was actually, I worked directly for Michael Dell for about a year and it was wow. an amazing experience. And he is the antithesis of that whole thing. He's nothing even close to that, which is amazing to see and, But then I also had bosses who were, were very much in that camp and just wanted to climb up and were using, you know, using people as a stepping stone. So I'm glad to be here to talk to you about it.
0: Yeah. Wow, I just have to go back to that and and ruminate on how amazing that that is to work with Michael Dell. Can you share with us a bit of what you learned from his leadership that inspired you to write your book?
1: Well, look, it was, it was a long time ago, so it was like '93, '94 when I kind of kind of '94 time frame when I kind of worked for him. So I was at a competitor. I can't come over to Dell. And after about six to eight months of being at Dell, Michael's like, "Look, we're really struggling against this competitor. You used to be there." Why don't you have to spend some time with me? And I did. And he says, "Well, why don't you come work for me?" And I said, "Okay." And he can say no. And, you know, the interesting thing was, I was like, I don't know, twenty-four years old at the time, whatever. He was only twenty-six or twenty-seven, right? Yeah. So it was so it's just like two guys hanging out and talking, right? It was kind, yeah. of, kind of cool. But he was like light years ahead of everybody at that time in terms of his maturity, in terms of thinking about business. Because at the time, Dell was a couple billion-dollar business, right? Not a small business. And so, one of the things that I always admired so much about Michael was he had almost zero ego, like mm-hmm. on a scale of one to a hundred in terms of ego, he's maybe a five, right? And it allowed him, I think what really allowed Dell to go to be successful because he's very much in that vein of hire people smarter than you, give them the tools to do the job and get out of their way. And I saw that throughout his leadership and the time I was there, hiring people who are better than him in manufacturing or operations or sales and marketing, whatever the case might be, empowering people. Most things. I think it was great. That yeah, Was it perfect? No. Were there challenges? Sure. They're always was. Every company is, you know, has that, but I think the success in the 90s and so far now and the reinvention that he went through, that to me, what he did in terms of taking the company private a few years ago, and then from there, retooling the business, coming back out again, that to me is kind of like the ultimate baller move in terms of putting aside your ego saying, look, okay, we're going to go do this. And so that was huge. And look, in terms of his inspiration me writing the book. His presence is kind of felt throughout the book in terms of some of the things I learned from him and ideas and learnings and the core of enlightened leadership, and that's what I call it. It comes from that, it comes from that place of saying, hey, if you can really lead an organization that's full of gratitude, there's five key pillars of enlightened leadership. There's gratitude, there's resilience, there's empathy, there's accountability, and there's transparency. And those are all the kinds of things I learned from him and well as other mentors throughout my career, which kind of really led me to write the book.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. And when you were talking about that, you said that you didn't have a big ego. That's incredibly important. And I think a lot of us wish more people were like that, right? Because you can step aside and let your team help build and grow this vision you have for yourself. That's the way to have that neutral, the balanced ego in life versus those who stomp on us or compete with us or do horrible blackmailing things while we're at work just because they have this lack mindset and this big ego that if they don't do it and if they don't look amazing, then, you know, they're losing out, right?
1: Yeah. Look,
0: before we get into commercial break, I'm going to read to you a few passages from Rajiv's book. The Five Points of the Enlightened Leader's North Star on page 198. Here are the five attributes I believe every enlightened leader must always keep front and center as they confront business challenges. Gratitude, transparency, resilience, accountability, and empathy. I don't know about you, but surviving narcissistic abuse has done a number on my nervous system. Anxiety, digestive system, and even getting good sleep. Being an absorbent, highly sensitive person, my muscle tension from repressed anxiety, irritability, and overwhelm are always a constant struggle, and all are side effects of trapped negative emotions in your body. This is why I take BECOME. I get relief, ease of my digestion, and a deep night's sleep with their research-backed supplements. And you can also, dear empath, you will feel a reduction in anxiety within one week of using BECOME. Try it now to gain relief of your anxiety and to sleep deeply and regain your calm. There are three pills in each pack. I take two at night for a good night's sleep and the last one with my cup of coffee in the morning for a boost of energy. Try it now to gain relief of your anxiety and to sleep deeply and regain your calm. Use code RAVEN30 for 30% off your first full month at joinbecome.co. The link is in the show notes. when you search empath and the narcissist on amazon for materials to read what do you find a whole bunch of pages full of the same title Um, empath and the narcissist hmm. so how do you determine which book is the one to read well that's up to you but all i can tell you about my book is it shares snippets of my story of how i didn't always exude confidence i didn't always have the peace of mind on the contrary i emitted a sense of insecurity that was palpable i people pleased everyone at the expense of my own health i hated myself and i lashed out when i couldn't take it anymore and in my book i relate to you dear empath so you can read the words and know that you're not alone That is the main goal of the book. The second goal of my book is to give you tools that I use to find my strength, to leave the narcissist and to heal and be on the complete other side of the dark abyss I am meant to be here on earth to help you heal and transform from your trauma, from being a survivor to a thriver. You gain healing exercises at the end of each chapter. It's a guidebook to heal your childhood trauma. It has effective somatic healing exercises. It has astrology and how to understand and know your true authentic self with a human design chapter, giving you a brief overview of the human design 101. If you wish to feel alive again and take back the power in your life, then scroll up and click the link in the show notes to listen on Audible or buy your hard copy or paperback on Amazon today. by the time you get to the end of the book, you're going to be wondering what exactly does my human design chart say about me? Grab your human design unique blueprint reading on a call with me to help you identify how magnificent you are and how unique your energetic blueprint is here and how much you are needed for your impact. That in the link in the show notes at ravenscott.show forward slash shop.
1: It, it, this is prevalent in all work, and it doesn't matter. I don't think it's in the workforce, and I'm sure people, kids and young adults have gone through in school, whether it's high school, colleges. This is just family members sometimes have this issue. So this is prevalent throughout all walks of society. This is not like limited to the workforce, right? Yeah. For me, again, I come back to those five pillars that I, that I talked about. If you take the first letter of those five pillars, the gratitude, resilience, empathy, accountability, transparency, that spells the word great. Hence, the title of the book is called Chase Greatness. And so that's the whole point there. And Ryan Halliday you know, talked about ego as the enemy. right? And he, he, he really talks about it from a, from a standpoint of hubris. right? I think we've experienced leadership on a global scale in the last few years where hubris really ruled the world. And so that we really caused a lot of challenges and issues. But we're not going to get political today. But anyway, yes. the, the, the point I'm making here is that we talk about ego being the enemy and, and I've had people accuse me of narcissism because I wrote the book, you know, mm. and I and I do podcasts and all these types of things. They're like, well, that's the way you feel. I mean, I'm happy to have a special with you about it, but I'm not going to. But yeah. I, where I'm coming from in my heart, and I know the message I have to deliver. And that's what I'm trying to do. And, and I'm a big believer in the concept of enlightened leadership. And because what's going to happen here, Raven, in the next two to three years, the majority of the workforce is going to be Gen Z, millennial. for The first time women are going to be the majority of the workforce. Mm. And they require a different type of leadership. They don't respond well to narcissistic, egocentric, hubris behavior. You know, yeah. There's a small look. There's always an acceptance of the world There's, there's some minorities actually. There's I don't mean minorities in terms of people. Minority in terms of population, in terms of people. There's some minority in that population that will always gravitate towards that type of leadership. There's nothing you can do about that. That's always going to be there. But hopefully the tools in my book and the talks that we talk about today will help people navigate those things.
0: Yeah. Okay, two things. Number one, the narcissistic type of leadership, right, of suck it up, strong rule, let's get it done. Who cares if you need rest? Like, let's just keep pushing. That I think doesn't serve men as well, right? There are some men as as well who don't like that and they need rest. I think it's a non-gender thing. I think we're all rising to the awareness that this doesn't work anymore. Like burnout is a real thing.
1: Yeah, burnout's a real thing. And I've actually had a long conversation about burnout last week with somebody. And there's only so like, so I'm the CEO of my organization, right? Of my business. And I've got 150 some odd employees, spread all around the country, we talk about burnout all the time with my leadership team. Now, one of the hardest things to do is, get, is to get folks to actually take their vacation. Yeah. And part of it is that they feel like if they don't take their vacation, that when they leave, they get a nice paycheck at the end because they accrue that little, they get a nice little pay, payout on their yeah. vacation, so, they're, they're, so that's part of it. But getting people to actually take their vacation is a real mm-hmm. mystery in terms of how to really do it in a way where it looks like it's a win for everybody involved. But I can tell you, it's really important that that happens. And mm-hmm. when you come back to your point about it's an equal issue for men, as as it's for women it is. in terms of that get up, put on your big boy pants, go for it, go do it, all those kinds of things. Look, I think at some point, sometimes though those statements are helpful and sometimes they're harmful, hurtful. hurtful. And, the key is going to be timing. The first thing out of your mouth is, hey, suck it out. And you know, that, that to me, I could see where that could be a very hurtful situation because, look, you are in a leadership position for a reason, right? When I was growing up in the 90s and when I was going through leadership training and all those things I did, you were taught that if you were ever going to go talk to your boss, you need to go to your boss with three solutions,
0: hmm.
1: right? Otherwise, don't go to your boss. Right. right? But to me, the the vex challenge challenge that because you're the boss for a reason. And sometimes employees are stuck. Sometimes employees need help. Sometimes it might be a kid, it might be a friend, it might be a colleague, whatever it might be. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes people get stuck and you're in the position you're in for a reason. So what is it that, what is your experience? Well, what in your experience that can do to help that person, right? And if you can create the world in your organization where you can lead from a place of empathy and say, look, I understand sometimes you might be stuck. Do I prefer that you come to me with solutions that we can discuss? Sure. But sometimes you just don't have it. Sometimes you need help. I think COVID is a perfect example. There was no, no one had gone through COVID, right? No one, right? There was no mentor for me to call. There was no case study for me to go read. And there was a 24 to 48 hour window there where, no one had any answers back in March of 2020, even me.
0: Right.
1: And people are looking at me for answers and I didn't have any answers. So you feel a little bit like an imposter, like what the hell am I doing in the chair? What am I doing here? Right. Yeah. But then you do. But at that point, you do need a jolt. That, that's, and I remember quickly, I remember waking up one morning, like a day or two after everything shut down, Like okay, got to get up. You got to put on your big white pants. So there was no, because you, you sometimes you need that harder jolt to, to, to uh, knock you out of, with that funk that you're in. So sometimes it can be appropriate, but it can't be all the time. And here's the, th- the thing I realized was that, I, you know, we're going to have to really go out there and we have to be a concerted effort across all members of the team to navigate through COVID. And we did, and we've been highly successful.
0: Yeah. And it's putting your heads together and figuring it out together as a team. Now, going back to this, can you restate, that was my other thing As I wanted to ask you, can you restate your acronym again? What spells out great?
1: So it's gratitude, <laughs> resilience, <clears throat> empathy, accountability, and transparency.
0: Mm, those are all beautiful.
1: Yeah. And a lot of people ask me, well, why transparency and not trust? And mm. I'm like, look, in order to have trust in an organization, you first have to be fully transparent with your organization. Yeah. And so that's why transparency comes first. So that's why that's there.
0: Mm. And as someone who maybe is an employee or a project manager at work, that considers himself a sensitive person or an empath. You can feel what your team needs, but approaching your boss that may be narcissistic is extremely difficult. Like how would you advise that type of person to navigate the waters with with that?
1: So I don't think I'm a very sensitive person, but I did have a situation back in my career. Boy, this is probably in 2003, so like, 19 19, 20 years ago, about 20 years ago, mm-hmm. where I actually had a boss who was extremely, extremely difficult. And he would go out of his way to make my life miserable. Mm-hmm. And it turns out later on, after, later on, after we came to an agreement on what the hell was going on, He was doing these things because he wanted me to be an example. He wanted to make me an example out of everybody else. Hmm. But he was essentially bullying me in the workplace. I didn't go report him to anybody, whatever. I'm a big boy and I can figure this stuff out. But finally, he got to the point where I just had to sit down and confront him. And just like with kind of any bully, the minute you confront him, when I confronted him, he didn't realize he was really doing it. And then when he sat down with me, he said, well, I think I was doing it because of this. And essentially, what he was saying to me was, you're going to be bruised, but bad.
0: Hmm.
1: And so all I can say is having gone through something similar to what you're describing, you've got, you've got to confront that person early on. You've got to document everything that you feel like you're going through. you got to start creating a paper trail of the bullying or the narcissistic behavior that, that's causing this issue. You know? And then you got to make sure that you report it to your HR department, because they're there for a reason. Right? But definitely you want to document it. You absolutely want to document, right? Definitely do that. definitely absolutely him or her that the behavior is not appropriate and that that you're a hard worker. And the thing that finally got to him was when I told him, I go, look, you're going to get more out of me by teaching me than bullying. So you have a choice. Which was going to make you look better? And that was kind of the thing that broke the issue apart.
0: Well, that's. I think that's amazing that he was able to uh, introspect Right there's always this debate is like people who are toxic or they are bullying. Are they doing it subconsciously? Or are they actually tact- tactically doing this to us? And I think a lot of the times they're just acting out of what they think is the best way to do it. Right? They're modeling from maybe their parents, or their boss, or their mentor. Same thing when people are parenting. So to have him have this moment of, oh, actually, yeah, I was doing it because of this reason. I didn't even realize I was doing it. That's a really really amazing and absolutely document everything especially with if they are true NPD no matter who they are wherever they are in your life documentation is the key it is the key yeah Mm -hmm. so we have documentation okay I have another question for you if you are a boss or in charge of a team how do you check that you are being an enlightened leader
1: Look, for me, I ask questions a lot, right? right. And if you look at my organization, one of the things that I learned early on in life and being a leader was I really like, because there's two things I did. Number one is I put as much effort and emphasis on my internal customer, which is my employees, as I do my external customer. As a matter of fact, I put more emphasis and more energy on my internal customer than I do my external customer. So the thought process there is that the more I can take care of my internal customer, they're going to automatically take care of the external customer, right to me there's no chicken and egg to me it should be all about leading the internal customer first right so from there in order to do that i want to make sure they have whatever tools they need to be successful in order to do that i need to make sure i hire an amazing management team and i have an absolutely amazing management team i love my management team they're fantastic it took me a few years to build them out but it's there and it's great and they're doing an amazing job it the ability to allow them to, the ability to empower them to go make decisions, is was the number one thing that I did, and we really decentralized all that decision making, because there was a time when the corporate become of the bottleneck, and you don't want that it slows things down. So we completely decentralized everything, built this out this amazing matrix organization, and it's been incredibly successful. And so those are kind of some of the things that that you want to look at as you start climbing the ladder as you're looking at organizations. If you're a new CEO, a new president of an organization, those are kind of the things you want to look at. Which is, how much power are you giving down to the front lines of the people? You want to give them as much power as you can to the closest the customers as possible. Are you really delegating these decentralized decision making? And then, are you going to be a backstop for them when they need help? And those are the key well, those are the key attributes you need, I think, to be successful in mm. the coming decades in, in the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then again, it goes back to working as a team versus just doing what the top boss says and don't question, just do.
1: Yeah, look, it's all about trying to remove silos. You know, it's all about understanding and realizing that all boats, rising tides in the boats kind of situation because they realize that and I'm very transparent in terms of how we're doing the business, how our numbers are because they realize at the end of the day that if one division is doing really well and one division is doing really poor, then that division that's doing well, they still can't make certain decisions to invest because you've got to make up for the miss that this division has, right? So the more we the more you can bring them all together, the more they can share ideas, the more they can share experiences, the more they can share innovations and new things that they're doing, new product ideas, the more successful the entire group is gonna be. And I think we've done a really good job a really good job of that.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes those, <laughs> remember those, those meetings, especially as a salesperson's like, I don't need to heat my numbers sp- spoken out loud. And this is specific, right? Like not like this department and that department. If you're in a meeting with a boss and they're like calling out all of your numbers, sometimes they will shame, like a shame tactic to get the salespeople who aren't performing and they'll announce it, and it's like I already know I'm not doing well. Like announcing it to everybody is not going to motivate me to do better. Like that is not a good tactic in being a great leader and motivating your people to sell more.
1: Yeah, I think I think on that one, I've been in situations where we've seen that before. I grew up on the sales side of the organization, so look, salespeople are a different beast, right? Salespeople are hard charging. They're super competitive and they're not competitive in a mean way. They're just super competitive. They want to beat the next person next to them. They want to go on the president's trip. They want to win the highest commission. They like to see your name in life, so to speak. That's salespeople.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. And
1: that, to me, that's an example. I think that there's a narcissism there that kind of can border on the good side of narcissism if there is one, because they just really, because they really enjoy being successful. They enjoy that, right? That, that, that's why certain salespeople exist. And look, I remember early in my career. I was working for a computer company before Dell, and every day the yeah. leadership team, the VP of sales, would publish from top to bottom the top salesperson, and it was who was the top salesperson for the previous day, and it had a total for how much that person has sold so far for the month. Right. right, and you never wanted to be on the back page of that. Yeah. Right, and so you always kind of want to be in the front page. You want to be higher up and, and think. If you're on the back page, right? And you're like, okay, I got a good work market, or well, whatever the case might be, I might need some additional help. And so but it was never viewed as a tool to be me, it was a tool to beat anybody up. It was really just, it was really meant as a tool of to saying, look, this is where you are. It comes back to that, in the acronym I talk about accountability, and you still have to hold people accountable. Yeah. And so I think seeing salespeople at the end of the day, I just I think we're looking at a different beast.
0: Yeah. And I think in my scenario, I'm thinking of when I worked at Ethan Allen as a designer, right? You go in thinking you're just going to be designing and then you're like, oh, shoot, like I have to sell? Like what? And then you become a salesperson, but you first are the designer. And I think a lot of designers are not, they're more creative and they're more like into the process and they're not really into the numbers and being as hard salesy. But yeah, I remember it was like drilled in us though. It was like every morning we talked about the meeting and then like the weekend meeting, we talked about it. And then one-on-one privately you talked about. So it's like, I feel like that was a bit overboard and probably didn't need to happen. Accountability was there like threefold.
1: Yeah, I think the mistake that sometimes those types of organizations make is you're trying to force them to be a salesperson who's not a salesperson. So you got to give them tools on how to become a salesperson without them realizing they're a salesperson. So to me, so that's what I'm listening. I call it the FBI, right? And so I don't mean like Federal Bureau of Investigations. I call it Feature Benefit Incentive, right? So what's the feature of this couch? What's the benefit to you? And here's the reason why it's a special right now and it should be available, right? And you got to ask just leading questions like, what do you think? How does that sound? And literally, that's all you have to do, right? But what okay. I find a lot in these types of organizations, whether it's an E.P.C. type of an organization, whatever it might be, they don't do those basic things. All they want to do is talk about it but they don't know how to teach it and provide small little examples, how to get small little micro wins. And, all, and ultimately at the end of the day, is if you can get your, you your customers to say yes five or six times in the conversation, they're probably going to buy from you, right? And the small little things like that, where if they would have just taken the time to tell you, oh, hey Raven, um, as you're talking about it, make sure you just tell them about the features of the couch or the chair or the benefits, and it's a special and ask them how they feel. Because if you, if you can get people to buy from you and they're feeling good, you're gonna know it's gonna be a great situation.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. There was a time that, that there was that training, but then I also remember there was just a lot more politics in it. There's the numbers, there's the shareholders, there's all these things and things. Well
1: yeah, and, and yeah, and, and again and again I don't necessarily blame them. I, I blame the CEO. I blame because I blame the chief revenue officer, whoever it is, the chief marketing officer. Whoever, I blame that management team because they should be able to arm you guys in really simple tactics and how to do 90% of what you need to get done. And they did not do that.
0: So, yeah. Antonio. Yeah. I think they focused more on the product. Like I always remember Saturdays being product training. I was like, I, I, okay, but how can I sell more? And there was that too. I'm not going to say there wasn't. It wasn't lacking, but I love that the point you say about who are you talking to? Meet them where they're at. And it's baby steps, like teaching us how to ask questions. Like it's still something I struggle with now, right? Determining if I'm interacting with a narcissist or not, or if I'm getting scammed on the internet. Asking questions, lots of questions, is the way to make sure that you're, you know who you're dealing with. You're safe and protected. Or it's a way to be able to know who needs something from you or if you have that to provide to them. So, yeah. Definitely asking questions, always the analytical mind, right? The, the analytical mindset in life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, that leads us to my question then. What is an enlightened entrepreneur? Talk a little bit more about your book.
1: Yeah. So, to me, as I mentioned earlier, so the title of the book is Chase Greatness, and the subtitle is Enlightened Leadership for the Next Generation of Disruption. Because to me, in order to survive, or if you want to be leading an organization in the next three to five years, you're really going to have to change your leadership style. You've got to really embrace those five attributes I talked about, and those five attributes is what leads to enlightened leadership. Because to me, enlightened leadership is again is embracing the fact that in the next two to three years, the demographic of the workplace is going to completely change, and if anything. That this upcoming demographic, they're much more in tune with what I call the Jedi. I just say that because Star Wars nerd is easy for me to understand or remember. Yeah. and remember. Jedi, Jedi is another acronym, which is saying this workforce says, hey, we really want to make sure that are working for an organization that understands justice, social justice, mm-hmm. that understands the impact of the environment, that's very focused on diversity, and that's very focused on inclusion. Now, Are there people like that that, that don't believe in that? Sure. But the majority believe in those things are important to them as they look for an organization to go work for an organization, right? And enlightened leadership says, Raven, not only am I here to take care of you within the walls of the organization, not only do I want you to be successful here, I want to do what I can to support you outside the walls of the organization also. Because ultimately, you want to try to build a culture for people where they don't quit. Because at the end of the day, one of the biggest issues that causes companies a challenge in their profitability or in their bottom line performance Is turnover right? The Society for Human Resource Managers said before COVID, turnover was costing companies over 30 billion dollars a year. That number is like quadrupled or quintupled since COVID, right? And we're all going, we've all been the great resignation and all these different kinds of things. And we're leaving, and there there are more jobs open right now than there are potential people coming in the workforce, right? So you got to do everything you can to build an amazing culture. You got to do everything you can to support people within the organization and outside the organization. So I'll give you some small examples. At 1105 company I run, we provide two mental, we provide two mental wellness days a year for people to take. go above and beyond any personal time that they want to take. Right. We -hmm. do that on, on election day, we give people a paid day off to go vote. Mm. Why do we do do that? that? Because I want people to feel like they can get involved. If they're not happy with what's happening in the world, then the best thing I can do is give them the time to go get involved in their communities to affect change without having to worry about getting a paycheck. So we give them a payday off to go vote. That to me, I think, and if they voted by mail, great. Go, go be a poll worker. You don't want to be a poll worker? Great. Go spend time with your kids, your family. Go go to the beach. Go hang out. Go take another month mental wellness, whatever the case might be. But the point of it is I'm just trying to make is I, 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 we try to give them those types of things, you know. We yeah. you know, we 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 support nonprofits and charities throughout the Southern California region. We've supported Operation Smile. Now we're supporting a nonprofit that supports that helps women and children who are victims of domestic violence. So it's those kinds of things and those are the kinds of small little things that make an employee feel good about working So those are examples, small examples. But ultimately in my leadership sense, hey, I know the workplace demographic is gonna be changing in order and, and I have to change to go with it. And enlightened leadership builds on servant leadership. So it's not that hard for people as people probably been practicing servant leadership for quite some time. Basically servant leadership is, Hey, I work for you Raven. Enlightened leadership is, Hey, I work for you Raven. What can I do to help you be successful within the business? Also, what can I do to support you outside the business? And that's enlightened leadership.
0: Mm. That's beautiful. Now everyone's listening is like so motivated. Like, yes, I want to work for a company that supports justice and, donates and helps me have the time to go vote those are all really important things what can they do to go to their boss to to introduce these ideas and to start implementing them in their companies
1: look i i, I think most organizations want to do something right. right but i think what happens is a lot of times it's just not it's just not natural for some leaders to, to worry about these kinds of things right They're, i'm a capitalist i've sold you know three companies and so it's not, but I'm also a capitalist that believes that you can also put purpose and profits together, that you don't have mm-hmm. to choose one, right? Mm-hmm. And, very, and a lot of people feel like you have to choose one or the other. And if they're going to choose, they're always going to choose profits. Right. And so, look, if, if, if you're making, if you're a company and you're producing, let's, let's say you're producing $5 million mm-hmm. of profitability picking and all that, right? You want to tell me that, that you can't take $20,000 and go donate it to a local food bank and you go have all your employees show up or better yet, or, or to create programs to help support your employees or a mental wellness, whatever the case might be. Yeah, you can, right. Cause ultimately you want to be able to find ways to continue to retain those employees. And so, so it's, it's, it's understanding and realizing as a leader, if you really have a choice, you can do both. Yeah. And not such as me saying, it's such just me saying it, you know, um, there is McKenzie, which is arguably the largest and best consulting firm in the market. Came out and so said that if you can, if you can, if you find ways to do both, you can improve your bottom line by five and seven percent. So it was actually benefit because people are not leaving. You're not hiring, you're not having to hire new people, would the case might be? So,
0: right. Yeah. And I would say narcissists are all about their egos and they want to look amazing and good and like save the world out into the public. So you can always angle this idea like, oh, if we have this, this will look, it'll be good for the press or whatever, however you want to word it. But definitely find ways to bring this up into your workplace and talk about it because it's so important for our future and the next generations. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for for being here and talking about this topic and helping us and giving giving us some tips on how to handle a narcissistic boss. We're going to put our big boy and girl pants on and we're going to like confront this narcissist in a very tactile way with evidence right don't just go on in with your emotions because you will lose that battle with your words for sure so make sure you have the tactile ways with the evidence and the yeah just the intelligence of saying this is not right so anyways thank you so much thank you for being here and where can people connect with you further
1: no i appreciate that so obviously they can find me on linkedin which is i'm there people are welcome to connect with me there the book is available on Amazon. So they go on Amazon and they look up Chase Greatness, Rajiv, and Rajiv is, I guess they can see it on the screen, but it's R A J E E V. And Instagram is at. So anyways, I'm around. It's easy to find me. It's easy to find me.
0: <laughs> Good. Amazing. Well, I'll look for you on Instagram. Make sure I follow you and I'll tag you in the post. That's where I mainly am is Instagram. Okay. Well, thank you so much.
1: You bet. It's my pleasure.
0: So what an amazing conversation I really gained so much and completely realized that my first job that I was in had a very toxic culture, even though I knew it, it just kind of helps define like it starts from the top down and has to trickle through. And as an empath and sensitive person, we talked about how do you approach the unreasonable requests and what tips in dealing with the unhealthy toxic leader. And if your boss or if you are a boss in charge of a team, how do you check that you are being a good leader? Because sometimes even in our shadows as empaths, we can tend to want to fix people. And when we fix people, we remove their struggle. We remove the struggle, which is their—it's what their karmic currency is here. Because the struggle is where they learn their lesson. So sometimes as empaths, we can act toxic. Uh, and step in and try and fix them. So being that enlightened leader, maybe you're a manager, a boss, even a parent, you know, all of this goes back to what role are you playing in, in your community as a leader and making sure that you're cultivating a safe environment that is emotionally secure, not putting them down or criticizing them, allowing them to give you feedback through you asking them questions and not fixing and removing their struggle because that is their gold. As a CEO, Rajiv has accomplished a three multi-million dollar exits, two times best place to work winners, over $2 billion in revenue, global executive with experience building teams in over 20 countries. So being enlightened does not mean that you need to be poor. You can actually aspire and manifest and achieve your goals through love and light. So, if you wish to purchase his book, you can head on over to find Chase Greatness on Amazon and the link will be in the blog in the show notes. If you want a personal help in gaining clarity, your authentic power back, and healing to be rid of the narcissist for good, join our empath community. You receive weekly inspiration and strategies to heal from narc abuse and understand your unique human design energy blueprint. And as soon as you're in, I'll gift you your human design reading with your type, strategy, and inner authority. So join now and get your reading within 24 hours. I'm so grateful for you listening, finding the show, and sharing it with your friends. It would give a great boost in the heart-centered algorithm to rate and review this podcast. If you are enjoying it, take a screenshot, share it on your socials, share it in a text message to a friend that you know right now needs to be pulled out of the quicksand. And remember, always keep your unique light shining.
1: it's tragic, we're not all elastic, but maybe there's magic. Believe